Welcome back to this edition of the SmartBridge podcast, Transform IT. I'm your host, Patrick Pauls, joined with Miraj Jawani. Hey, guys. Welcome to this episode with uh, a special guest that we have, Randy Lochner, here with us. Uh, he's a CIO. He has, he has uh, decades of experience um, in many industries. And I guess we'll just get started right there. Randy, welcome on the show. Well, thank you guys very much for having me. And uh, I look forward to the conversation. So, Randy, one of the first things we typically do is we introduce our uh, our interviewee or um, the, our guest for the uh, for the week. But um, instead of me going on and on about all the cool things that you've done, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Uh, give us a little background about you know where you've been, what you've done, and your uh, your significant amount of years of experience. And no, that was not a dig. Yeah, I'm just that's that's a different way of saying I'm just old. Uh, I've been uh, in a a professional IT person for almost 46 years, from about 1974 when I started my first IT job with uh, with IBM. Uh, I have experience before that in college, obviously doing some programming and things like that. But over my uh, first uh, career was with IBM for 25 years. I uh, Ran a gamut of uh, careers within the organization. Uh, I was lucky enough to have them uh, uh, invest a lot of time, money, and effort into me, and then I took advantage of that and advanced my career. After that, uh, I left and went with a, a couple small firms, uh, one of which was uh, uh, selling services that people today would be called a cloud-based service, and uh, we did that in, uh, in the year 2000. And then uh, from that, I went off and worked with another company providing uh, support services and consulting services for IBM customers. And then from there, I went to Cisco Corporation. That's the, uh, the food distribution company and worked there for just uh, under 10 years, a variety of jobs. Mostly I, I was there. Uh, I started the enterprise architecture team, and then we started a performance management team for their uh, applications and SAP projects. And then from that, I became a CIO at Oil States International, and I, I was there for just over seven years before I retired uh, on uh, on March 1st. And uh, I've had a, a variety of opportunities to do a lot of things. My background in technology is somewhat varied, and my experience in business is mostly in the manufacturing distribution wholesale, uh, and, and uh, technology areas, and I have a lot of background in all that. So, uh, and that's kind of my background. You know, it, it, again, it, it seems like you have a lot of experience in a lot of different places, and I guess that makes for a really good uh, IT leader, like a CIO, that it's not just about a specific tool or technology, but you have some experiences, you have some background, you've seen, you know, the, the technology that's that's changed the industry over and over and over again. And honestly, that's one of the things that excites me most about having this conversation with you is that with your uh, with your very, you know, your, your varied past and positions that you've held, uh, you've seen technology impact business in waves upon waves upon waves over over the past 40 something years. So um, I definitely like to get into that. But the, the first thing that I think we we should talk about is really um in a modern era, specifically, let's talk about the value of technology. You know what it can bring, and you know setting some appropriate expectations for some of the impact and the the value it can bring to business. 
Well, you know, uh, that's a great way to lead in because uh, what I learned, the, the knowledge I gained over the years was technology is great, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's what you need. It's a value statement. Is what you're doing from a technology standpoint, implementation of it within a in an environment, business, education, healthcare, uh, you know, anything, what's the value? And are you doing the right thing to add value to the situation? I know I experienced a lot of times when I just threw technology in a place and I, I never felt like, and that, that's not true. I oftentimes was concerned about, are we doing the right thing? Are we adding the value? Or are we just, you know, throwing some technology at a, at a problem and are we solving the problem? So uh, I guess some of the stuff that you have to learn over the years is um, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should, you know. Uh, and I see, I think we see a lot of that today with the with the internet and things and social media. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that social media allows uh, allows us to do, but at the same time, is it what we should be doing? Part of the thing is uh, with social media, again, these are my perspective. This is not necessarily, you know, take it to the bank type deal. But uh, a lot of the issues you run into with social media is, is I think that technology is advanced beyond the, the society and what we should and shouldn't do. And it's, it's, it's exceeded the bounds of appropriateness in some cases. Uh, and I don't want I don't want to sound like an old fogey on this and 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 that, but it's true. I mean, some of the issues we run into around harassment on the internet and uh, inappropriate behavior on the internet, the sharing of content and information that shouldn't be shared, uh, with the assumption it was meant to be private. Um, mm -hmm. That that stuff that when I was early on in my, in my career, I didn't have to worry about that. You know, we, we didn't worry about things getting out. Uh, you got to remember that was back in the days of the old mainframe and you, you just locked thing down behind the glass door and uh, it became like the Fort Knox of the, of the company, you know, and uh, it was good because it was, it was protected and it was not so good because the, uh, our business users couldn't get the data out. I mean, I don't know how many times I heard the comment, well, I gave you the data. Why can't you give it back to me, right? And that was because yeah. in the old mainframe days, it was based upon whatever the programmers could do as quick as they could to regurgitate the information back. And, uh, and now we've gone almost to the reverse, is that data and information is so prevalent and so such a vast array of sources is that, you know, what what am I really looking at? And so in the, in the world of IT today, some of the issues we run into is how do we how do we manage that? Uh, and a lot and frankly, a lot of IT people uh, who have any kind of experience were not trained on social behaviors and social relevance and appropriateness in all cases. We're trained on technology, but we may not have. Uh, the best skills in society on how to manage that. And I think you're going to see, uh, well, actually, I know, I see a lot of changes in IT professionalism right now, especially in the upper management and the executive levels of, of directing the IT organization uh, down the path of social responsibility, uh, security, 
uh, appropriate behavior and all that. So what was once an accepted, oh, he's just the IT guy, he can't communicate. That's really not an appropriate behavior that we tolerate anymore. We, we really struggle and strive to make it much more of a social event uh, so that the IT teams are providing value to the business and the business is excited and likes to deal with it because they're getting what they want. So uh, those are my comments on just the, the, the high level on the value of technology. I mean, I, I mean I, 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 I'm, a, I'm amazed at what I have in my hand with either a cell phone or the tablet and the ability to just do whatever I can. And, you know, we've all read about, you know, access to uh, millennial, millennia of data. And it's at your fingertip. Uh, but sometimes uh, we're, we're not sure how we handle that. So in IT, from a technology standpoint, we need to be aware of that and give guidance to that as well, be guided uh, with that. So... So I'd actually like to expand on one of those things that you um, or some of your comments there. Um, you know, we were talking about whether or not um, we were so worried about whether or not we could. We didn't stop and ask whether we should. I mean, that sounds like a, a reference to uh, a very good book and then movie, but I won't uh, I won't name it here. <laughs> uh, but my, my question is. So technology has always outpaced both society and specifically laws and uh, rules, regulations, and governance. Um, so what about this kind of iteration or change or this amount of change that we've experienced over, let's say, the past 10 years or so has really changed the game from how it has been in the past? I, I think it's the velocity of it. Uh, I mean, it's always been fast, don't get me wrong. I mean, technology has always been spinning like a top. You know, we've been improving the hardware technology exponentially over the last 50 years. Uh, software technology is, is phenomenally growing. I mean, the development cycles of, of major supported applications are reduced to just a matter of days or minutes or hours instead of weeks and months and years. Uh, so the velocity of change and the rapidity of that change coming at you and the volume, the volume of stuff coming at you is incredible. So uh, it's not unknown just to become uh, almost uh, immune to this, to where you just go, oh, okay, without stopping to realize, well, maybe that's, we need to pay attention to that. I think that's the biggest thing we have going right now. The second thing is, and I, I don't need to get off on this too bad, but there's a tremendous amount of misinformation being integrated with all the information. Uh, whether it's an intentional uh, uh, misinformation strategy or it's just uh, un misunderstood such that it's misinformed. And so what we never really had to deal with in the past, but has become quite prevalent now, is, is interpreting the information and the data to make sure, is it true? Is it based on fact? What's the source? Uh, can you trust the source? Is there an intent uh, being delivered with the information you're given? Okay. Uh, that's always kind of been out there, but it's never been at this volume to where, uh, I mean, sadly, I mean, I, I, 
I just shut myself off because of the volume of the stuff coming at you. And I just need to take a break. And I think that's part of the role of IT professionals going in the future is how do you govern that? You know, what's the governance around all this? It's, it's very new. Uh, and sadly, there's, there's not much uh, uh, background for us to follow. It's, it's, so, it's so new. So I, I think that's the next thing that we're going to start seeing is a lot of governance around content, uh, appropriate use of content. Uh, uh, I would look for, and I've seen a couple of things recently coming out of, of all places, Google, believe it or not, uh, of around uh, enforcement and understanding of source of information and whether or not it's a trusted site. And I think if you look at some of the searches you're coming up from them and and uh, a few others, you'll start to see, uh, and they're doing this a little bit better, uh, Facebook tried it, uh, categorization as to whether or not this is a trusted source or not, or if it has reputation of trust. I, I think that's what we're going to start seeing more and more of. Um, I think that's a. I went a long way for that for a simple question, but uh, was that kind of what you're looking for? Oh, definitely. Um, and it actually uh, it it segues into another question of mine, is that okay? So you assume you know people joke all the time. You know, there's an app for that, or there's a uh, program for that. Now, as we we move further and further along the government governance line, and um, we try and find out what's trusted information to filter out all of this misinformation. One of my questions for you is, you know, one of the things that I've seen, um, both politically and philosophically, there's a lot of bias built in, not just to the filtering and the content filtering, but into a lot of the programming itself, making assumptions about what the right way to do things are, what's moral, what's not moral. And as we move forward and as we use more tools and more automation to kind of filter through what the, what's considered misinformation and not, do you have any suggestions for how we as IT individuals can understand not only, okay, yes, we need to understand the source, but we also need to understand the tools and the inherent bias in the people that are creating these tools? Uh, great question. And there's always going to be a bias. I mean, that's just a fact of life. What you got to be aware of is uh, what's the what's the depth and the strength of the bias. Okay, sometimes bias just because you know I have my own biases uh, and it shows up in my day to day activities based upon my years of experience, my my heritage, my background, uh, my socioeconomic status, anything that's happened to me from a uh, let's say a medical and physical standpoint. I'll have some biases. And I've said this and, and, and before, a healthy sense of skepticism is probably where we need to go to now. And not a skepticism based upon, I don't believe you, but a skepticism of why would you, why would you share that? Why would that be important? There's a lot of why questions that aren't being asked. There's a lot of what and who's. And, and even the where, but why is a question that I think IT needs to start asking more of. Why is that important? Why did you say that? Why did that bit of information get distributed? Why are you incorporating that into your decision process? Um, and I think that, which is a skeptic's job, is to question the why is the best way we need to go forward. It's in the past, uh, the the skeptics were always in the business, usually in the people paying the bills to IT. So when IT came forward and said, I want a new uh, 
whatever, that say why, okay? And now with the advent of broader based technology being disseminated across all aspects of society, there's not as much of the why, okay? Now, don't get me wrong. I just recently retired from uh, an organization and our CEO, she was the best in the world of asking a why, not by saying why, but in her attempt to get information. And I've I learned so much from her in the way she approached things. And it was, she had that little edge of skepticism to her. It wasn't that she was not believing. She was asking why so she could understand and help it clear in her mind. And I think that's where we need to be with this new uh, era of all this vast amount of information is, is, is step back and, uh, and go, if it doesn't make sense, ask why. If it does make sense, say, am I sure? And then if all that adds up, then you say, okay, based upon this, I think we're good to go, okay? Uh, but if I can digress for a little bit on skepticism, uh, I think it's the job now of, of senior IT professionals and business leaders to act as skeptics. Uh, it's because it's they're, they're not the leaders per se of a company. They may not even be the final decision makers, but they're the source of truth in an organization. And it's not just IT. It's in anything a business does. Anytime a business is going to go make a decision or go do something, they need to consult with a skeptic of some sort, internally, externally, or somebody who asks the questions. The skeptic is not the leader per se. It's the person or a group. It could be a group of people who call into, into question the, the, the value of what you're doing. Uh, and ask the questions, and, and they don't they don't need to be treated as naysayers, hmm. but at the same time they need to be consulted. It's not like there's this you know this God on high you're going to for uh, for consideration, but it's a process. You can have uh, I, I worked in an organization once, I actually implemented it uh, a a process that before anything got too far down the path of development or even evaluation, it went through a series of questions. And the questions were specific to the business as well as maybe some technology. And the, and the result was, was a brief that was created that highlighted the process that had just been gone through to highlight what would been discussed and the reasons behind it and came to this point of discussion, okay? And I call it the skeptics process. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, 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 and it really, it, it, it's, I think it's one of, the, one of the ways that keeps us all honest and makes sure we're doing the right thing as the value and keeps us on track. It also helps a whole lot for those of us who have to manage a whole lot of workloads and processes and, and, and projects. And if you have a skeptics approach, you can pretty much do a quick assessment of what's being worked on and give it a prioritization as well. So I, 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 I kind of harp on this. Uh, I've, I, I've always, when I was working at, at that big blue company for years, they would take me into the labs and have me look at new technology that was being developed. And uh, I always liked it because I got to see what was going on, got to touch it, and I broke everything that they showed me, uh, which is how I learned how things work, is you break it, you fix it, right? But what I discovered was in a pure play lab 
um, R&D environment, a, a lot of the people in those environments are totally unaware of how what they're working on will be used. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, they, they know it's good. It's great technology. I mean, it gets back to what I said earlier. Just because you do it doesn't mean you can. doesn't necessarily mean you have to or should. But what they, they didn't know. So I would, I, there was a one instance where uh, we were having some uh, instances in the field where things were breaking. Not seriously, but caused enough issues. And I consulted with one of the lab developers and actually brought them out to a couple of my customers and had them view what the customer was doing with it. And uh, and the epiphany this person had was like, I never would have thought to do something like that. And I says, well, you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Well, you're going to use that hammer to drive screws and nails and probably do other things with it. But if you haven't trained somebody on this new technology very well, they're going to revert back to their old old way of doing things. And uh, so there's a lot of ways you can go with this, but uh, I, I guess I'm kind of wondering. But the point of it is, is uh, use the technology as it's intended. Make sure you train people, but you got to get their feedback because in the business, let's go back to skeptics for a minute. In the business, your number one skeptic, and if you don't believe it, just go try it. Your number one skeptic in a business is your customer. And they are the perfect skeptic because if they don't believe you, they don't trust you, they don't understand, things are confusing, they're not going to buy, right? And if you're having trouble getting your customers to buy, to understand, to do something, and you and it's not because your product or services are not good, it's because there's your skeptic, which is your customer, is not getting it. You're not answering their questions. And so... Uh, a business is only successful as long as they have customers who are willing to keep them in business. And uh, so the skeptic internally should mirror in a lot of cases what the customers are saying and wanting. And uh, so when I, when I was in the labs working with these developers, they were appalled at some of the uses our customers are doing with hardware, especially around things like keyboards and screens and other devices that were new, and they've said, man, I never thought somebody would use that. I go, yeah, well, <laughs> it looked like a pen. <laughs> uh, maybe it wasn't supposed to be, but it acted like it was a pen or, or something. So I, what I'm getting to is, is you're in, if you're a technologist and you're developing things, you may think it's the greatest thing in the world, and it probably is in a certain case. But if you haven't truly passed it through to see what the real world is going to do with it, you may, first of all, best case is you'll learn real quick and you make a change. The worst case is it gets out into, in the world and it gets misused. And I think that's where we are with some of the stuff in the Internet and the social media today is that things got out, uh, immediately got out of hand because the developers of this, of this technology did not understand how quickly it would be adopted, how quickly it would be abused, and who would actually be using it. Uh, and to be honest with you, that is not uncommon, that things flare out and, and suddenly get out of control because you just didn't quite think it would happen that way. So so uh, along the lines of skepticism, um, you know, you, you did talk, you know, you talk about your customers being the, uh, the biggest skeptics on uh, – 
that you can have for a technology or tool or something that you're you're trying to sell them. But would you hold that true when you're doing some type of, let's say, internal rollout or internal customers? So an ID department or a governance body is saying, hey, we need to implement this, change this process, policy or procedure. And would you say that you'd have to sell it the same way to the internal uh, users as well as your actual customers if you're selling a product? Okay, that's the that's the old IT answer. It depends. Uh, and it does. Uh, if it's a mundane, uh, repeatable process that needs to be changed and everybody's in agreement on it, uh, your level of skepticism obviously has already been handled. However, if you're introducing an, an, a new internal process or procedure or technology that a lot of people will have to uh, make some changes to adapt to, uh, you better have some skeptical process in hand. To, because once you've gone through the process of the skeptical uh, layout uh, control, you've answered most of, most of the questions. So in regards to, I do have a question regarding something related to skepticism. You know, you've talked about <clears throat> informing the customers and taking their skepticism and, you know, the business taking that and finding things to improve or, or make better. Um, so, in, in line with that, you know, there's a lot of talk about analytics um, that goes around. So uh, when you look at analytics, what role does that play towards skepticism and on a broader uh, a scale of things in a business that you've seen? Right now, right now uh, <clears throat> survival in the, in the real world today is predicated on a strong analytics uh, process in your business. Uh, and it doesn't have to be uh, advanced analytics by any means, but it would help. Uh, you know, where there's the buzzwords out there today are, are artificial intelligence and on all this. <clears throat> and AI is a is is a is a good is a good thing. It can be a good thing. Uh, we've been talking about it from a technology point of view for 40 years. Uh, it has its moments. It comes and it disappears. It comes back and it disappears and it's all predicated on how far technology can drive it. But analytics itself is more of an uh, of, of a way of thinking. Uh, it's it's a questioning process. I, I've, I've seen uh, analyses that have been done <clears throat> where the results were accepted and the results from the acceptance was not what was expected. And the reason, there's a variety of reasons, frankly, but some of the major reasons are the what was the purpose of the analysis in the first place, right? Why are you, why are you doing this analysis? You know, again, it gets back to the question of why. Why are you doing this? Uh, <clears throat> what are you going to gain by doing this? Are you asking the right questions? Are you looking for validation? Are you just looking for somebody to say, yeah, you're doing okay? Or are you really looking for an analysis that gives you an honest assessment and then the facts that are delivered to you, you now have at your hand to go make some decisions with? Uh, and I'll say this frankly, and I, I'm probably getting in trouble for it again, and that is uh, I, I find that most analytics uh, – are not uh, 
are not strong enough in the area of questioning. It's mostly in the proving of a, of a theory or the proving of what you're doing in the business and everything is fine. And, um, and that, that creates a problem. And the problem it creates is the, uh, the, the blindness. It creates a blind spot to where uh, you're not pulling the data you should be. A, an example is in the 1980s in the oil patch, uh, it was predicted that the price of oil was going to skyrocket into unsurmountable areas. And people are just going to make money every which way they could. And six months later, it had dropped to the lowest it had been in decades. Okay. Sounds kind of familiar to the oil business today. And it's repeated consistently in that industry. You have peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. And I've always been amazed by this because believing in the skeptical process, a skeptic, skeptic would after a while go like, this is insane. We're doing the same thing over and over. We got to do it differently. But my point was, I was in Midland, Texas in the mid-80s working at a customer. <clears throat> we were having lunch, and we were talking about the potential for their business and how the oil prices were going to go up and all this opportunity. And next to us were these old boys from West Texas, and uh, and they, I heard their conversation was, uh, around, yeah, we've seen all these prices do this before in the past. It's going to drop again. And I'm not sure uh, it's going to be different. And as one of the boy, uh, old boy was looking, he goes, they had just completed a 20 some odd story building in downtown Midland, Texas. Now, if you've ever been to Midland, Texas, the first thing you'll realize is there's a lot of, there's a lot of land around there and it's not that expensive and you don't need to build a 20 story building. Okay. But somebody decided they'd invest in a 20-story building because they were they were they were totally convinced that the price of oil was going to go up and they could fill that building. Within a year, the building was vacant and nobody was in it. Price of oil collapsed. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that is because uh, you go go back, go jump ahead, you know, 20 some odd years, and I was reading an article to where. In the downtown Midland, Texas, somebody was proposing building a 30 or 40 story building. And I start laughing. I said, Well, sell your stock because price of oil is going to collapse. And sure enough, it went down. And when you're doing analytics, my proposal is, and it's been this forever, is don't just pull data from sources that you're comfortable with, pull data from sources that may seem not even related. So in my case, I was drawing an analogy between what the industry was saying around the expectations around production and price of oil and all this. And I remember what these old boys in West Texas were saying about it's going to collapse. And you, it was not related to the business directly, but it was a tangential type of process. So if you're going to make some extremely important business decisions, you may want to really look at bringing in a, a detective. And I call it the world of detective. I don't know if anybody remembers Columbo or not, but Columbo was a great detective and he'd ask all these weird questions and he'd get people to start talking. And the next thing you know, they were, or they were uh, exposing the truth. And I think analytics today, if you're going to really do analytics, 
you really need to hire a detective. Okay, somebody with a detective mentality, not just a, well, let's run some numbers and see what the results are, but somebody who looks at a multitude of, of, of a variety of sources of data, whether it seems to be appropriate or not. You know, if you're going to go off and predict the price of oil, as an example, it would seem to me that you would need to look at more than just production. And that sadly is kind of where we are in the oil business today. For the last four or five years, everybody's been looking at uh, the production side. You know, how many wells are we drilling? How many barrels are we producing? How are we going to store it? And that's the supply side. And we ignored, in my opinion, demand. And to the detriment to where in today's market, there is limited demand for a variety of reasons. Uh, some of which were not expected, but you should always plan for the unexpected, in my opinion. But again, if you were to bring in a variety of sources for your analytics and not believe the so-called industry experts wholeheartedly, but to question them, that's where the skepticism comes in, where you ask these industry experts, why do you say that? Where does your source of information come from? Are you pulling from the same source over and over again? Or are you not looking for another place. So when you do this, your analytics need to be, a, your best analysis should be led by a detective, somebody with a strong detective background, who's skeptical, who asks questions, who's really curious at getting to an answer that approaches the truth. Now, again, truth is a relative term in some cases, but it, it does help you to do that. And that's why I'm saying in an analysis today, a lot of it is strictly, all right, I put all these numbers together and I do a pseudo projection and does it meet what we're planning on? Yes, you go. And then you come back later and say, well, how do we do? Well, we met it or we didn't meet it. <clears throat> but did you really compare? Did you do an analysis against your, your, your process against your industry? What about disruptive? Is there, what do you... What are we looking about as far as disruption in our industry, right? And do something really wild and crazy, you know? Do something that you would never expect, you know? Oh, no, that's never going to happen. No, there's never going to be a worldwide uh, pandemic. And, yeah, but there was, you know? Yeah. Well, if someone did analysis correctly, they would have looked back 100 years and then 200 years and before that and seen, hey, you know, this is a reoccurring trend that, you know, we're we're overdue for a little bit. Yeah. I don't know, like like a market correction and, you know, an economic downturn or or, or just or just in a, and, you know, Mother Nature and uh, and the business cycles have a way of, of shaking out the the shaft from the from the wheat. Right. Uh, but. Uh, the fact is, is again, I, 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 I'm, 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 gonna, I'm babbling, but the skeptic, again, is your source of getting to the truth. The detective is the person that answers the skeptic's questions. Um, just one more quick question on this topic before we move on. You know, there's an old adage that people use on a regular basis that if it can't be measured, it can't be managed. Um as you're going through and you're you're building these these things out and you're trying to do that analysis to um, you're trying to do this analysis to get actionable information, what would be some guidelines that you would provide to someone as far as not just sources of information, but what actually needs to be managed, how it should be managed, and you know some ideas on governing this so that it's actually, like I said, it produces actual information for the organization. 
That that's exactly right. And the the now gets back to the what I kept saying earlier is what are you going to measure and what do you want to manage? Uh, do you really care? Do you really care uh, whether or not somebody is at their desk eight hours a day? Right. I've been in organizations where they want you to clock in a certain time, clock out, clock in. Anytime you got up, you had to check out. Okay. Doesn't happen as much anymore because of the, the, the advancement of technology. But what you want to manage is what are the results? What is it, what is it you're trying to achieve? Okay. Are you trying to achieve certain amount of improvement in, uh, in sales? Uh, you want to reduce your collections. You want to improve your inventory turns. Do you want to improve safety in your on your production floor? Uh, anything like that. And so you have to ask the question, what is it that's important to us, both from a productivity and viability and a value statement? And then, yes. Then you ask the question, okay, if that's what we want to do, then what is it we want to measure? Okay, what would lead us to the right solution to improve that or maintain it? And then once you answer that, you'll ask, why do you think that's important? That's a little skeptic coming in. And once you do that, then you say, then what's the source of the information that we need to provide the information that we have to make a decision on? Okay, and that's where a lot of us, and I'm speaking for myself here, that's where I got stalled a lot of times is when I'm trying to measure something. I, I've, I discovered that maybe I don't have the source of information readily available, or maybe I don't even have the information at all. Okay. Uh, or if I do, it's not in a form or structure or, uh, or, or cleanliness for me to use. Okay. Uh, and so, you you got to you got to decide what you want to measure and how you want to manage it you cannot i swear you cannot make this a whole lot of things okay because if you make it too many things all you're doing is spending all your time measuring and not doing okay so you have to be cognizant of the fact of what it is you measure the amount of information you need and whether or not you have the ability to collect the data and analyze it okay uh, it's like the, it's like the help desk. You know, I've been in, I've, I've spent 15 luxury minutes on a help desk before I was kicked off because of, I'm not a good help desk person. And, uh, someday I'll tell you a story behind that. But the fact of the matter is, is you cannot, well, it's not effective to tell somebody who's manning a help desk on the phone or on, on the online that every time they have an incident, they have to record it in excruciating detail because what you end up doing is you spend 80% of your time recording incidents and not resolving incidents. So you got to be careful on what you ask to be measured and what the effort is to gain the information. Again, this is where automation comes in. And this is where like artificial intelligence can help everybody is if it becomes a very high performing, high, high repeated process that you can automate and let something else do the analysis for you, that's when AI becomes a quite and a very, very exquisite tool to be used. But I agree with that. You, if you want to manage it, you got to measure it. But you got to be real clear what it is you're going to measure. Then you also got to let 
the people involved in this understand and ask answer their why questions and be able to respond to them if they have a better way to do it okay i um again i believe the old industrial structure of an organization where the top dog knows everything and nobody else knows anything is dead in an information technology to flip that on its head but there's other companies in this world who did it and they're not it companies where they trust their employees to make decisions and have their employees out there uh, taking a lead in customer service and support and uh, and then the executives uh, give them a direction and then uh, the employees are empowered to go off and, and, and accomplish what the direction is. Doesn't relieve anybody of any responsibility. As a matter of fact, it uh, shares responsibility and forces uh, people in the organization to take more responsibility at different levels than probably than most of them had ever done. Uh, so a whole nother issue there. <laughs> yeah, so that's actually, uh, Randy, that's actually a, uh... A great thing that you said right there, you know, one of the big things um, that, you know, I, I, we were taught in the military and other things is that, you know, you have to trust your people and use what, what's been referred to as decentralized command. You know, give broad overarching guidance, but let the people make their own decisions so they can actually go implement it. Then they have a vested interest in accomplishing the task or the mission, which ends up being a lot better result than someone, you know, say – getting everything from the top down and that also uh it helps you adjust faster to market conditions and different things yeah and there are companies today very well-known companies today that 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 live by that uh they're very successful uh there are other companies who didn't live by that and who are no longer here uh and it's because in today's world the fast implementation of a change, whether it's technology or social or society's change or economic change or anything like that, is going to be better managed and more successful in those organizations to where the individual employees have the wherewithal, the, the ability, and the uh, structure to go off and make decisions on their own, okay, without having to wait for a manager's approval, okay? Uh, and that's that, that's the only way you're going to adjust. It, but at the same time, you can't just say, okay, all the employees, you're on, you're going to do this and this and this. But you got to give them some structure to support that. You, again, this is where analytics comes in. If you're doing analytics, why in the hell are the analytics only being done by upper management, right? Or to your salespeople? Why aren't analytics given to the people who are out there running your company? And let them have results given to them on a on a regular basis as to how things are going, because I think you'd be surprised that your employee base is an exquisite source of information to be fed back into an analytics engine. Okay, uh, and I'm preaching again, and I apologize, but that's that is another source of of untapped information that a, a company can use. Uh, so for their for their betterment. Now let me ask you this, um, you know, like I said, big fan of the whole decentralized command, giving people the information they need to empower themselves, make those decisions, and actually get the job done. But one of the things that I've noticed, especially in my company, and well, not just my company, but IT in general, is that when you give people a lot of information and you delegate a lot of the uh, the authority to to make these things happen, security 
falls completely by the wayside because they see the end goal, but they don't do the, as you say, analysis of what's going to happen and what needs to be put in place to get there. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, again, is that Okay, so history, uh, security has been with us for a long time. You know, we talk about physical security, and then now as we move into more digital age, more information flow, security has become significantly more difficult. Um, but one of the things I want to talk to you is how have you seen that progress? And um, what are some, I, I guess, some pointers that you would give to us as far as general rules to govern security as we roll this out? You know, one of, again, one of the big issues that I've seen is that if you secure things down too much, it becomes unusable. Yet at the same time, one small backdoor or one security flaw and the whole thing can come crumbling down. So how do you reconcile those? Uh, man, I tell you what, as CIO, that was the thing that drove me crazy, was the incessant, incessant issues of security in our in our world today. It, it, it's everywhere. And, you know, when you go to your board and your CEO with your budget and 15% of your annual budget is on security, okay? And I mean, I'm sorry, 15% of stuff to protect yourself from all kinds of bad players and stupid things is not a productive way to spend your money, right? It's not, mm -hmm. but it's just where we are today. So here's what happens. If you're going to empower your employees to go do things, you're also going to empower them to be responsible, which means you give them opportunity to excel and you also give them an opportunity to be responsible so that's why like a phishing attack an email phishing attack i mean that is one of the most prevalent ways that these attackers get into a business is through phishing through click this link respond to this email call this number send me money whatever okay whereas if your employees are responsible and you've trained them look this is what happens in a phishing attack. This is what they're going to ask you for. This is what you're going to do. We are going to give you the power to determine whether or not to do it. And God help you if you make a bad decision, okay? And that scares them a little bit, but it puts a little bit of concern into their mind that, yes, I have the, I have the wherewithal to do it. I have the blessing to do it. And I now have the power and the authorization. I need to take that seriously. And I think when, when you give your employees that kind of authority and give them the training and give, answer their why and show them why, I am fully convinced that security becomes a lesser risk. And I have seen it in my previous job to where employees of all levels took on the security requirement and paid attention, informed people, took action, and did not allow certain things to happen. That doesn't mean it never happened, but I was very proud of our company for the amount of, of awareness that every employee from the top all the way through the organization had around security and how well they did and how extremely well they did on managing that. And it, again, it gets back to if, if it comes from the top and only the top dictates what's going on, 
after a while, people blow up. So it don't matter what happens. So-and-so is going to do it anyway. I don't care. Whereas if you turn that around, you say, look, you're now making decisions. You're now responsible. You're not only responsible from from the business side, but you have financial and fiduciary responsibility. You have people responsibility. You have operational responsibility. You have the whole thing. You have profitability and all this is tied to you somehow, not directly, but you, you contributed to it. And oh, by the way, security is one of the bu- biggest things you're going to do and we're going to train you. I honestly, in my, in my experience and my belief is a lot of the security stuff gets handled. It doesn't get handled all the time but their incidences are reduced, the impact is is lessened, but you're still going to have it. And like I said, oh my God, I have never, I, uh, I mean, like you said, the mainframe days, we just locked the glass door and nobody got in. Uh, client server came out, the advent of the PC, you know, you got people with data everywhere. You didn't share it. It was only on your uh, on your PC. So you had the what I call the dueling spreadsheet syndrome. My spreadsheet's more current than yours. Again, that's, you know, and then you had uh, the the what I call walking data or the advent of the floppy drive. You pick it in, you copy it off and it walked out. You know, I learned that from my days of managing uh, warehouses and, and putting inventory systems together that you could structure as well as you want, but the walking inventory was one of the things that always drove people crazy. And that's what walked out the door. And that's what we had with the data. And then you had a client server where everything was on the server, but you again, you, you didn't have good structure around it. And then times evolved and now you're into the world of cloud. Okay. And the cloud is nothing but an opportunity to share more data again the compounding issue with cloud technology is who has my data? How are you, how do you know, how do you know that they're taking care of my data? Okay. As an IT professional, if you're in charge of operations and you man data centers and you took care of servers and all this, you are responsible for that company's information. It is your job. There's, I mean, that's beat into every one of us. You, it is your job. You will secure that and you make sure that it's available and protected and all this. Well, then you open up the cloud. Well, the company no longer has it. Somebody else has your information. How do you feel comfortable in all that, right? Well, the only way you can do that, in my belief, is that every business employee is responsible for that information. It is their job to make sure it's safe and secure at, to their best ability. And uh, and the, the thing that saves us in the cloud, in my opinion, is these big cloud service providers understand, and they understand as well as anybody, that all it's going to take is one instance to where somebody gets in and, and does something bad to their customer's data, and they'll be out of business, right? And so I think you'll see these cloud service providers, and I've seen it so far, providing some pretty exquisite security services around the protection of our information. Okay. But just as soon as I say that, you know somebody's going to go out there and do something. But security is really, really, really critically important. And again, it gets back to uh, is it secure from the standpoint of availability and is it correct and all that. But another thing that's creeping in, this is how I started the conversation, is in the validative data. Is it is it real? Is it real information? Is it misinformation? And right now, the speed of technology is such that misinformation is it goes just the same speed 
has real information. And sadly, it can be as negative as it can possibly be with, with the way it can be used. So that's another aspect of security that nobody even thought about five years ago. You know, we thought about securing things and make sure people, but now you get disinformation going around so fast that you, you, you don't know. And that's why I, I harken back to the skeptic, the skeptic and the detective analytics. These, these skills are uh, part and parcel to security and the, inst inst uh, the implementation of a strong, safe, secure d data information structure. So, Randy, I uh, I think that that actually ties in very well, and that that's a that's a great place to to wrap things up. But before you go, I just you know what I want to discuss one of my big takeaways from this is that you know we, we talked about technology, the value of technology, analytics, skepticism, security. But it seems like there are several trends that go through all of those, and that's you know asking why, and transparency to the end user, to the customer, to the employee. And if you are able to balance both of those things, that seems like a good basis for a solution for a good portion of the problems that IT experiences or businesses experience while adopting or changing with the new IT and the new technology infrastructure. Would you agree to that? Yeah, that that's uh, that's a great way to put it. Uh, and it, from the military standpoint, like you said, uh, and some of this, it's it's uh, a lot of it's on a need to know basis, as opposed to want to know. But you got to balance those two because sometimes if you're really giving your employees power, they're going to want to know more. Okay, and so you got to balance that. So yeah, it's uh, it it that's I guess, I guess that's why I stuck with IT for 46 years was because there's such a, about the time you thought you, you you had a challenge handled, something else would come up. And if you're like me, you love a challenge and you, and you like the newness of it. And after a while, you really get, <laughs> you get fed up with it too. You're like, oh my God, not again. But, uh, it, you know, it's the old, the more things change, the more they stay the same, except they're, they're staying the same more quickly. But yeah, your point was exactly on, and I agree with that. All right. Well, I, you know, we, uh, I think we're coming up here on the hour. So I think this is actually a, a really good place to, you know, to, to, to wrap things up today. So I wanted to say uh, thank you very much for your time. It was very insightful. Um, and uh, I appreciate how easily you broke down a lot of those, uh, a lot of the topics. And actually the, uh, I don't know about the, uh, the rest of the team here, but I'm a big fan of stories. I, I enjoy them very much because it gives some practical experience for what you're saying, not just a general idea or process. You're welcome. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. And I look forward to doing it again if you want. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We'd like to tell Randy, thank you for joining us remotely due to the COVID-19 and some other considerations, the fact that we're all having to work remotely right now. We appreciate his ability to come on the podcast and adapt to our uh, to the changing situation. And if you liked our episode today, go ahead and like and subscribe on our many platforms. We're on Twitter, SoundCloud, a bunch of podcast players, and definitely check out the smartbridge.com forward slash blog. Uh, for more information so you can get the latest and greatest episodes straight to your device. Thanks for joining us. And remember, business transformation starts with you.